Hello and welcome to World in Union, our weekly rugby show here on Balls.ie with me, Mick McCarthy, alongside Morris Brosnan. Delighted that we're going to be joined in a few minutes by Tony Johnson of Sky TV in New Zealand, one of the one of the mainstays on New Zealand TV, um, to see how they're reacting to Ireland's win against the All Blacks. <laughs> we did it. And we're just going to get the outside perspective on that, like this show does every week, you know, the outside perspective on Irish rugby and the game in general. And I'm going to calm down a little bit now. But Morris, we did it! Uh, yeah, geez, it was great. I didn't expect yeah. you to be as excited coming in. <laughs> <laughs> we beat the bloody All Blacks again. Two out of three. Yeah, I mean... Um, Old hat now. Almost sick of it. <laughs> We've done enough of that now. Expecting it at this stage, you know, like Ireland, the great rugby nation that we are. But... Um, I know it's been. But Did like, you enjoy was, the game? Well, it was an unbelievable way. To, How was your tension? <laughs> like the, I think the massive rush to talk about the results afterwards, and like it's probably worth just dwelling on the performance because it was amazing. Like it was yeah. absolutely extraordinary to just from minute one to eighty. Like really kind of, and they were superior in almost every facet of the game. Like it was, it's like that old soccer friend. Like you know, it was like one nil hammering. Like it was a one try hammering. Like we, yeah. we we really were like totally better. <laughs> By far the better team, yeah, at least for, you know, and, and in the first 60 minutes, and there's always that kind of, let's invite them on, mm-hmm. that's going to happen, it's unfortunate, but our defensive systems never dropped during that yeah. either, so it was all okay. Um, one thing, though, was when we, we got Tony on, and we'll speak to him in a minute, was I was expecting the New Zealand media to be a little bit kind of, um, sour grapes is probably the wrong word, but normally they just expect Spiky. that, like, e- either... Either Ireland, you know, um, got lucky and beat us once and it's no big deal and let's not make too big a deal of it, or the referee did something, or New Zealand were terrible and all this. None of that. Here's some of the, just some of the, the um, uh, bits from New Zealand media. Ireland are the world's best and deserving of that mantle. Ireland deserves every accolade. Ireland deserves to be seen as the world's best team, even if the rankings don't agree. And here's the, the most apt one, actually. Ireland's relentless defence unnerved New Zealand. You know, which is absolutely true. But that's the way people are thinking. There, there's no kind of sense that um, this was in any way an, aberra- an aberration or anything. This was just a, a better team beat beat their boys. Yeah, and uh, like as sweet as that coverage was towards Ireland, it was incredibly sour towards their own team. Like there's really kind of scrutiny now falling on players like Bowden Barrett, who like Bowden Barrett is in the running for World Team of the Year, and there's people still wondering is he good enough to start for the All Blacks? It's kind of a, like a crazy scenario yeah. to be in. That's what happens when you win a load of World Cups <laughs> and you're always the best team in the world. Um, but yeah, I think we'll get to, to, to Tony now. Tony um, Johnson of Sky TV in New Zealand, uh, thanks so much for joining us. As I, say, I was saying to Morris there, Tony, when uh, we booked you to, to come on earlier, um, late last week, I was expecting us, no matter what the result to be, you know, a little bit of maybe of a, a tense conversation, a fiery New Zealanders generally don't like when things are put up to them. The New Zealand press generally quite protective of the team, protective of the spot in the world rankings, expecting possibly a spiky conversation. And imagine my surprise when I look at all the New Zealand papers and websites over the week to see nothing but a magnanimous... Um, reaction to Ireland's win over New Zealand and the fact that Ireland were in fact the better team on the day. I suppose there's a bit of a difference when you lose to Ireland. You're probably not going to get your faces rubbed in it. That, that's one thing. I mean, I could think of a couple of teams that we don't like losing to very much because, you, you know, you, you, you t- tend to cop it a bit. But I know I think there's a, a, a genuine regard for what this Irish team's about. I think there is probably a genuine regard for the Irish uh, in in New Zealand. A lot of us come from Celtic stock after all. But I, I just I, I just think that there, there's an acknowledgement here that they were beaten by a 
a well superior team on the day, um, a team that was superbly coached, had a great strategy, but carried out to a team passionate performance. And you just got to take your lumps. I mean, look, it's not like um, the reaction would be, say, if they lost in the semis or, God forbid, the quarterfinals of the of the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that can get a bit feral. And <laughs> uh, obviously, and, and also what happened last year with that farcical finish to the Lions series. I think people were pretty upset about that. But no, this is this is just a situation where they've been outplayed by a team, and you just got to take your lumps and give credit where it's due. Yeah, and look, you know, all joking aside, I I feel like that there was, you know, obviously we were talking last week about whether it was mind games or not from Hanson talking about, you know, does this define the best team in the world? But there did just seem to be a lot of like a, a kind of an extra respect for Ireland this time around that. It, you know that these were two great teams that had run and the All Blacks were going to have to go out and win a tough game if, if, if they were going to prove themselves and I think there's an acknowledgement obviously that you know that didn't happen and fair play to Ireland but I, I do kind of find it interesting that um, that New Zealand kind of came into this game I, I would say for, for me anyway and I, I could be wrong that it seemed to be something like this was a bigger November game than the All Blacks were used to even before the result happened you know, I suppose when the uh, the schedule came out for this particular year, a couple of years ago, it was all about the England test and it was all going to be about the, the battle between the English and, and the All Blacks for number one. Well, that just became the most important game of that particular week. Um, and ever since Ireland won the, the Grand Slam, the Six Nations, it's, it's always been about this game. It was, it was always going to be a tough ask too, uh, you know, playing Australia, in the, the third Bledisloe Cup test in Tokyo, the two weeks later playing England and then Ireland. But they were relishing that challenge because it, it, it equates to a World Cup scenario. And and I think that will probably, you know, um, help the team in, in the long run. Um, genuine feeling, this is a, a terrific Irish team. I think that the Irish teams, you know, there's always been a lot of great players. I remember the first test I ever went to in Wellington, marvelling, at, uh, at Mike Gibson back in the 1970s. Ireland's always had great players, but I think the difference is that this team's got outstanding players uh, right through. You've got depth, but I also think, and, and I'm not trying to deflect attention here or, or give you know credit onto a New Zealand, you've got a great coaching staff, uh, Joe Smith, Andy Farrell's defensive strategy for this game was absolutely outstanding, uh, but you can have the best strategy in the world. You've got to have the players to carry it out. And so, you know, what it means is that Ireland are, are rated, they have to be, and this has been acknowledged here in New Zealand, they are the best team in the world in 2018. And that means that they are going to take a, a hell of a lot of beating at next year's World Cup. And, and suddenly there's a slightly sort of nervous prospect um, of if the All Blacks can't beat South Africa in their opening game, coming up against this Irish team in the quarterfinals. Mm. God, that's a scary prospect for us too still. I don't care how many times we, we beat the All Blacks. But um, we'll come back to Ireland because uh, in, in a few minutes, we've plenty obviously to say about it and we definitely want to hear what you think. But just on the All Blacks, you know, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much. You mentioned that run of games. It's been a long season. We're leading into a World Cup year where I think they're going to be a little bit better managed and a little bit more rested. Were the All Blacks just exhausted on on, on Saturday night? There's a, there's a there's a moment I think even at the end where um, Ritalik, who's been so immense and he didn't have his greatest game, and Ireland kind of targeted him, and he drops the final ball at the very end of the game, and it's like, and it, that man just looks 
Now, he's devastated, but he also just looks absolutely exhausted. It's been a long year. It has, and I suppose that's the problem with the way things go at the moment, that you know the, the teams from the Northern Hemisphere come down to New Zealand in June, and they're usually pretty shattered as well. Um, and you could say that, although I think they have tried very hard to manage uh, the New Zealand players so that they would be in some kind of uh, some kind of peak for this end-of-year tour. Uh, I think probably uh, Sam Whitelock, he, he's one guy who is definitely, I mean, he's going to have a long rest. He's not going to play the first month of Super Rugby next year. Uh, you're right, um, Ritalik, I remember when he walked off uh, at the end of the, or late in the game against Ireland, uh, a couple of years ago, two weeks after Chicago, and he was out of gas then too. So yeah, that maybe, but but by the same token, I don't I don't want to use that as an excuse. Uh, the the fact they didn't lose that game because they were out of gas, they lost that game because they were outpointed strategically, tactically, uh, in terms of uh, execution, passion, all those things. Um, and and as I say, I, I just don't think you can. Yeah, sure, they 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 probably are a bit tired and they're looking forward to having a break now but I'll tell you there'll be some rocks under the beach towel this summer Tony I mean I think the uh, it's funny you mentioned Joe Smith there like I think the main thing from an Irish rugby perspective is after a phenomenal year it could still end on a kind of a downbeat note if Joe Schmidt does decide to announce he's going to leave at the end of the month like from your own perspective is there much appetite to have him back to New Zealand Oh, too right, mate. <laughs> we'll have him back. <laughs> I mean, you'd be mad not to. I mean, the only thing is, one thing I'd say, it would be very arrogant of New Zealanders to just assume that Joe Smith is prepared to drop everything that he's got going from over there and come back to New Zealand at the drop of the hat uh, to, to be coach of the All Blacks. I mean, you know, he, he's on... I think he's got a, a lot of reasons why he might want to stay right where he is beyond the next World Cup. Um, we're going to find out what Steve Hansen's plans are, and I think that's important. I think we need some clarity there. Look, there's, there's, New Zealand has done very well out of succession planning, uh, both in terms of players and coaching staff, that we've always had the next sort of generation ready to go. I'm just starting to wonder whether maybe uh, the results this year suggested that maybe it is time for just a change of thinking. Don't get me wrong. Hanson is a fantastic coach. He's one of the best coaches that's ever coached the game. And and like Graham Henry before him, he's learnt from things in the past that he's got wrong. And and you're not going to start bagging the guy um, because he's lost a couple of test matches this year. If he stayed on, he's got the ability to keep being a great coach. But uh, I personally feel uh, I would love to see Joe Smith back in New Zealand coaching the All Blacks. He can bring Andy Farrell with him if he likes. Um, um, because I, I just wonder whether it might be time for a change of thinking after uh, before when Henry Hanson and Smith came onto the scene. It's, it's a long time in the hands of those people. But as I say, you know, Joe might might want to stay right where he is, and you couldn't blame him. I mean, if this keeps up, I'm pretty sure there'll be a statue going up in St. Stephen's Green of Joe Schmidt any day, (laughs) wouldn't there? Yeah, I mean, we'd be far for that here anyway. Can I ask you about that point about maybe more scrutiny on Hansen? Like, in terms of... Mick kind of touched on the idea that there wasn't too much um, kind of belittling of Ireland's performance, but in terms of the analysis of New Zealand's performance, how has that scrutiny gone? Well, uh, there's definitely some question marks there, and some of them have been niggling away all year. I, I certainly have been of the, the view that they had to 
give a bit more thought to what their their ten fifteen combination are. The way New Zealand plays ten fifteen, they they kind of uh, go hand in glove. Um, they are kind of part of each other. That that, that if you're the the All Black fullback, you are also required to be a second playmaker. And Bowden Barrett is a, is a sensational talent, no question. Uh, and I think he made his name by being able to come into a game and affect it. I mean, you think about. Um, for example, that 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 amazing game where the All Blacks won it right at the death. You probably don't re- want reminding of that. Uh, or you think of the impact that he made when he came on in the World Cup final. And and that's how he made his name. He's now, you know, having to run the cutter from number 10. And there is some doubt that is being expressed that, that that's the best combination. There's a lot of talk that maybe Richie Moong, a guy who plays a lot squarer, to the goal line, very direct, um, that maybe he might be a better option. Bowden Barrett, better at fullback, Ben Smith on the wing. Um, they're, they're not inclined, I think, to go down that path yet. Uh, there's a question mark over the future of Sonny Bill Williams. He's been a phenomenal athlete, but has he got a- enough left in him for one more World Cup? There's even talk of Martin Nonu uh, being called back into the frame because... You know, if teams are going to keep these rush defences being so good at this rush defence, maybe you need a, a, a sort of a Polaris missile like Ma'anonu in, in the midfield to get you over the game line. And there's a little bit of a question mark over the uh, the loose forwards. Kieran Reid didn't have his greatest game. I think he might have picked up a shoulder. Not, that might have been a problem. There's a bit of an issue around the depth behind Liam Squire at six. So there's a few question marks that have come out of this year. Uh, and also about the tactical game, that, that, that the All Blacks have been working on trying to expand their attacking game, to develop it, to take it to new levels, uh, to try and beat these claustrophobic defences that uh, the Lions uh, last year and Ireland have been able to use to such great effect. Uh, and the jury is out on whether that has really succeeded and maybe a little rethink is required there. But hey, the good thing about uh, when you lose a couple of games like this, uh, and, and they've got plenty of time to assess uh, the damage, if you like, and 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 adjust, and that's something that New Zealand traditionally has been able to do pretty well. Yeah, um, and you, yeah, you you totally wouldn't bet against them, but I suppose with the World Cup, um, you know, you you're saying that South Africa game suddenly becomes this this be-all, end-all at the start of the World Cup, you know, it's like we that's hit the ground running and stuff like that. Do you think that he will spend next year, you know, between the Rugby Championship and everything else, doing a little bit of experimenting, doing a little bit of kind of player, trying out different players, trying out different systems, or is it going to be, let's make a decision, let's play how we're going to play and perfect that in the next 12 months? Well, I think what they've been doing is that they've been trying lots of different things over the last two years, and if something works, they tend to put it away um, and and not use it again. Keep it up their sleeve for the World Cup. But I, I you know, as I say, as a general um, philosophy about the way they've been trying to play the game, uh, it, it just hasn't quite worked to the effect that they would have liked. I think by now they would have liked to have found a way a, a, a around these, as I say, these um, amazing. Um, throttling defences that teams have used um, a, a, against them. So you know, it, look, it's a it's a challenge. But I'll say one thing about these guys: they 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 love a challenge. Yeah. Um, and 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 they'll they'll put a lot of thought into it. It just makes next year such a, a fascinating thing, and it's got to be good for the game. 
when you've got you know five or six teams that are a genuine shot at winning the World Cup next year. I, I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we're talking about Ireland like we're one of them. Like there's a big deal. Like we've got, as I said, the, the spiky reaction didn't come from New Zealand, but it did strangely come from Wales, I thought. <laughs> there's a lot of, there, there is a kind of, a, 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 it's an absolute fair enough reaction from the rest of the world saying it's all good being good in 2018. It's all good being in an off year, but Ireland haven't got past a, a quarter final of the World Cup yet. We've um, had teams that weren't good enough and we had ter- teams that absolutely were good enough and just didn't get the job done for one reason or another. Like, from your point of view, you talked um, earlier about how long you've been watching Ireland, that we've always had great players. And just from an outside point of view, is this an Ireland team that would be that you would see going to a semi-final or final of the World Cup? Well, to me, that's that's the big question about um, Ireland. It's always hung over. I mean, they've had tremendous teams. I, I, you know, they had a team capable of doing well in 2003, but I don't think Eddie managed that team in terms of their workload particularly well. I remember going to see them before the quarterfinal, and poor old Woody, who'd been playing the house down, could hardly put a foot in front of the other because he was so bashed. Um, you know, I, I think the same thing happened. Perhaps 2007 was a bit, wasn't was so good. Uh, 2011, again, uh, team laced with great players, didn't get past the quarterfinals. And, and I actually... Um, Believe it or not, I uh, was with some Irish mates in, Car- in Cardiff in 2015 and backed Argentina to win because, again, I, I just had this question mark over Ireland's ability to go the distance. And that, to me, is that's the uncharted water that they will have to navigate next year. They, they, there's no legacy of them having been able to go beyond the quarterfinals. Now, I think this team is absolutely capable of doing that. Uh, because you've got great depth. And you think about the players that you were missing from your side at the weekend, you bring them back into the fold, and suddenly, you know, you've got strength and depth in a lot of positions. It's what you have to have at the World Cup, because, I mean, you, you remember what happened in New Zealand in 2011, when our number 10s, our out-halves, as you call them, were going down like flies. Um, mm. So, you know, you, you've, you've got the depth, but as I say, it's just, it's it's that capability to go the distance, okay, and I sort of get that point in a way that if you beat the All Blacks in one game and you have perhaps not so tough games either side of it, is that the same as winning quarterfinal, semifinal, final at the World Cup? And and I'm not doubting Ireland, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm just saying that that is what you have to do. You have to win that key game in your pool and then you're in a situation where you have to win three knockout games in a row and it's just that is the one to me just thing that Ireland haven't been able to do in the past and New Zealand in the last two World Cups have found a way to be able to do it albeit by the skin of their teeth in some circumstances mm. Tony you touched off uh, I would have that there and I think Ireland have a pretty good one themselves um, there's kind of a sense in Ireland that he this performance is Sexton's recognition as world player of the year now would that be shared in New Zealand? Um, oh, I th- I, look, I think there are a, a number of contenders. I, I actually thought that... Uh, you're talking about Johnny Sexton here? Sorry, yeah. I didn't quite... Yeah, Sexton, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, the thing, ab- the thing about this performance is that I, I actually thought... Um, I mean, Johnny was... He, he was good, but I, I, I didn't think it was... I, I, he didn't need to totally dominate the game because sure. everyone else was doing so well uh, that he was he was very calm and he was very composed and his distribution was excellent. His kicking was excellent, but it, it was, um, 
yeah, look, I, I would say he, he's, he's a definitely um, a contender. But I tell you one thing, mate, I, I have learned over the years is I will never, ever try and second guess uh, that panel, who they pick for World Player of the Year, because some of the decisions they've come up with in the last five years, bigger belief. All right, that's all I'll say. We des- so we- I'm not going to predict that. We deserve one after Richie McCaw robbed Brian O'Driscoll blind in 2009. Yeah, that's a, that shows you, by the way, a level of um, of uh, rugby success in a nation where that's the kind of thing we remember nine years later more, <laughs> more than anything else. But, <laughs> listen, yeah, before, it's all right. Before I we let- still give the Australians hard time about it, an underarm cricket bowl that they they did, did in was it 1981. You know, yeah. you're you're allowed to remember these things. <laughs> I remember that. I remember, well, I don't remember it well, but I've seen it on like YouTube and stuff like that. But um, Tony, yeah. before we let you go, last question then. Um, Andy Farrell's uh, defensive line, that's twice now the All Blacks have not been able to score a try against it in the second test in the Lions. And here, it's not often the All Blacks don't score tries. It, like, is this something, you know, again, it almost goes back to the, what we were talking about before about trying things and developing ahead of the World Cup, but I get the sense that that's something that they'll relish coming up against again because it's it's a challenge that they haven't been able to win yet. Yeah. And until they I, win I, those I, challenges, they'll want to do it again, you know? I, I, you know, to me, what, what a key moment in that test was, the All Blacks are behind by 10 and they get given a penalty that's kickable. Now, even if they kick it, they still have to score twice to win the test and Reed goes for the posts. Mm. And the fact that he didn't go for the corner, I think that, again, is just a, a glowing testament to the, the, the defensive performance of Ireland. And I, I actually think one of the keys to that game was the first five minutes, the All Blacks hammering away at the yeah. line. And what I loved about that Ireland performance is the patience that they had. They stuck to their lines on defence. They stuck to the job, and they waited for the moment when a player was isolated and bang, in they went. And it didn't matter who it was. I mean, half of the time it was Omani and he was just sensational. But it was other players as well. And and to me, that's a team that's really thinking about what they're doing um, and 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 picking the moment. And that has been the hallmark of, of the All Black sides, you know, being able to come up with the big play in those big moments. And I, if I, you know, if I were you guys, that'd be something that I'd be most encouraged about. But look, you know, I'll just say in closing, um, you're not getting any gripes out of me and you're not getting any gripes out of anyone else in New Zealand. This was not one of those tests where you end up ruining a, a, a ridiculous refereeing decision. And let's face it, there have been plenty of those in the last few years. It, it's not about who wasn't playing or who wasn't. There, there are no excuses. Um, this was a sensational test match and it was it was rightfully won by uh, the, the better team on the day. And all I can say is, guys, enjoy it. Yeah, we will, absolutely. Listen, Tony Johnson, Sky TV in New Zealand, thanks so much for joining us. That was brilliant stuff. Does you know, they're rubbing it on, the yeah, New Zealanders. Yeah, nice to hear but, a big um, time, yeah. Yeah, no, it is nice to hear. But, you know, one thing actually we were talking about there, and, the you know, Tony just mentioned the, the turnover after a couple of minutes. Stander, I think, got the first one. We got two early on. There was some big moments in that first half. There was Devin Toner's tackle driving and them back, and we, yeah. got the, we got that turnover there as well. I have to say, the crowd were absolutely brilliant on Saturday night. And it, it is one of those ones that they, they were alive and electric the whole time. But what I love sometimes about a big night in Lansdowne is that they react at the right times. Yeah, That isn't always the way with a rugby crowd. And in, in all over the world, including Ireland, I don't mean, you know, it's the same everywhere. But they know what 
is a really, really big moment. I think that just G's up players, and I think it gets under the skin a little bit of the opposition as well. It's really funny you say that. Like We spoke to Jamie Heaslip in the week prior to this game, and one thing that he stressed, really, really stressed about the Chicago game was the difference the crowd made. And he was hoping, I think like slightly expecting the crowd to have a similar effect on Saturday, which it did, it did, clearly did. But yeah. he's, like, he spoke about the lift he gave players just to see like the lift of green, he spoke about moments when it got really tough and to feel like it was like a second wave, like to feel that rush behind them. Like he, he was really kind of positive and appraising of that. And at the time, I wasn't really sure how you how you received that. Like, is it just, you know, pandering to your yeah. fans? But he, there was a sense that he genuinely meant it. And I think you could see the effect of that. And it must have been, been more than in Dublin. There's probably, a, to look, people have travelled and you're looking at that and that, geez, you up in its own yeah. way. But I think the, just the fact that it was so loud and electric, people were just excited. They thought we were going to win. And when you go and give them the first thing to cheer about in the game and that standards turnover there after two minutes or whatever, that just justifies everything they have and their belief that they don't want to say out loud and it's seven o'clock in the evening and everybody's had a couple of drinks and they're a little bit more in in uninhibited, <laughs> easy for me to say, and they go on there. So I just thought that was a big factor that, you know, there's been so many things to talk about that mm. it isn't one that we've had a chance to chance to get. But um, your final thoughts then before we're, we're not going to completely move off because we'll get to the team sure. and unsurprisingly there's a lot of Irish <laughs> players on it. But um, anything that Tony said there that you'd like disagree with? I, like, I think the the praise for Andy Farrell has been a team kind of across the board and I think like it says... I think it says a huge amount about where Ireland are at right now. That I mean, no, no rugby teams want to play rugby in their own ten. You just don't like if you don't. Ideally, not in your own half. And it's now gotten to the extent where Ireland are going to just kick the ball away and trust the defence to win it back. Yeah. And when you've got uh, like if you watch that clip from when Stander with the help of Josh Unfair gets the steal, they tried it twice before. Once is Aki and once is Devon Toner, both trying to get over the ball. Like yeah. and so when you've got this kind of Arsenal players all willing to jackal and kind of try and poach in that extent, and then you've got like just monster tacklers like Josh Van der Flyer and James yeah. Ryan just constantly willing like they're relentless all the way through I think it really leaves you in a like a strong position that like we you've got such an trust in your own game that it's not about keeping possession for the last few minutes it's about trying to force them to do something and it's it's funny because I'll, like, I'll hold my hands up and I'll always say this that like I'm not a rugby expert I'm a fan of the game who's been watching it all my life but it's such a technical game that you, you know there's so many different levels of how much of a you know an, an, an expert and, uh, to have a full understanding of the game that there'll always be things and rucks and scrums and stuff like that that I can't see that yeah. other people will and I think that's a normal thing and I think there's about as I said like 20 levels I'll be in the top 10 or 15% of but I still won't be able to see a lot of that sort of stuff but Ireland have got so good at that kind of turnover now and that kind of um, you know that I'm getting to see now in the last like maybe two or three games or maybe even going back to the Six Nations now when there's an opportunity for that turnover. Yeah. Which I never would have before because they, they've done it so many times in such a specific way that, all, that, that works so often that I'll know that if Peter Matney is standing too near to a tackle that he hasn't been involved in, he's going to get there. You know, and even the way like Best bridged him for that, you know, that's a teamwork. Like that's mm -hmm. how, like this is the big one that we're obviously that yeah. everybody's looked at a hundred times in the second, late in the second half. That like that that's a, such a teamwork thing to do. Of you know, um, Amatini's there, he's in position, but Best knows exactly what's happening. He's not going for the ball himself. He knows that his job is to get in there and hold Amatini up. And then as, you know? a, as a unit, they're just they're so in sync. Like it's absolutely yeah, so exactly, I, I don't yeah. know if as you said earlier, Stander with the help of Van der yeah. it wasn't just Stander. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like I don't know if it's stressed enough how. Ballsy Ireland are in defence. Like you're playing with 
if you play 14 men in the defensive line, that means you've got like Rob Kearney and an entire backfield. Like, can you imagine like a player like Ron O'Gara, how much he would thrive in trying to pick, pick to the corners? But when you're as suffocating as they are and the line speed, they don't have time to do that. Like, they totally trust in their own abilities. Like, New Zealand play three players in the backfield a lot of the time because yeah. they want to counter attack. Like, it's 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 an unbelievably efficient but also really kind of risky system that Ireland have just absolutely nailed. Yeah, it's also something people should bear in mind when we criticise, and I'm one of them, Rob Carney for his counter-attacking skills, is that he doesn't have that same support that most teams will have, yeah. where you said last week, at least two with New Zealand off yeah. and three, he's often on his own there, Precisely, and he doesn't have yeah. anybody to spread it um, out to, or to take men off him. Yeah. Which is also why you need to take into consideration when a player like Jordan Lammer plays there, like what he's trying to live up to. Like you, you, He's relying on his reading of a game and his pace to try and cover that amount of space. It's a really hard thing to do. Yeah. We'll move on. I, one more point, actually, because you, you did touch on it there, was that, you know, watching the game on Twitter, as we all do, and sometimes, you know, we make good points. Sometimes we would wish that we just waited that extra two seconds, but there was the, why are you kicking it? <laughs> tweet that I totally wasn't on my own when we had to hold the ball for two minutes at the end and we would have had the game. And I think it goes to what you said there is like, you know, Ireland know that holding the ball for two minutes when a team is desperately trying to get it back isn't the easiest thing in the world. Two minutes is a long time. Yeah. It's a lot of phases. You know what I mean? You're talking 30 phases nearly, probably even more, you know, um, in that time. Like, it's, a, it's a long time to keep it. You lose it on a, the wrong terms via the penalty or a turnover. You're on the back foot. They trust it. I still think, though, most teams, you're just going to try and do that. Oh, because at least yeah. it's in your hands then. What did we do? Luke McGrath, box kick. Not even one of the best ones. And you're like, I can't believe we're giving them another chance. But they completely trusted themselves. Now, and New Zealand did keep it for a long time and were down at the 22 whenever they eventually dropped it. But it's just not. it wasn't an unusual thing to see. The Kiwis weren't knocking it on in first and second phase, mm-hmm. the way a team who's not on their game yeah. will. They were knocking it on in 13-14 phase or throwing interceptions or whatever it was because... They just they'd gone through everything they had in their book by the time, and Ireland hadn't let them yeah. in anywhere. Like if possession is going to be nine tenths of the law, and you back yourself to regain possession through your defence, you're in an unbelievably strong place, yeah. and that's that's where Ireland are right now. Yeah, right. Rolling team of the November internationals. We did it last week. I presume there's a good few changes. Yeah. Um, and this is the big week. There is the, like next week isn't that spectacular. We've Australia, England, who'll def- who'll be the the big game mm-hmm. to kind of you know, to, to have the last chance of getting this. I can't see any Irish players playing their way onto it. They might keep themselves <laughs> on it. Um, I'm not sure what kind of team we're going to put out against the USA. Did you see, by the way, Peter Matney calling it a, a big game against the States yeah. next week? <laughs> like, trying to move on <laughs> two minutes into his interview about his performance of his life against New Zealand, you know? Um, what are we going with? Front row. Uh, I get, so I, just kind of to stress, like, pref- the, it's very going to be an Irish stack team and, I mean, you're going to be left open to accusations of bias there, but, when you're undefeated and you beat New Zealand, it's just natural that the team is going to be like heavily yeah. reliant on Ireland. So, Carl Tui, who we talked about last week, uh, who absolutely destroyed really Kyle Sinclair in the scrum last week, yeah. got destroyed himself. By Other way around, type of long, time, so yeah. he's yeah. out and kind of Keen Healy comes in. I think that's pretty straightforward. Ireland probably the best tandem at that side now between Healy doing his 50 minute and then McGrath coming yeah. on. Like, Healy looked a little bit off i'd like to see an injury update on him he, yeah he was like he was gassed coming off anyway yeah because you could, it was very very evident um uh, Cody played Taylor. very well though isn't it oh, like yeah. and, and there's a funny thing about keen healy there was at one point where i think it was something that even gone away from ireland like uh, gone against ireland and it was just a slow-mo replay of it and you could just see keen healy in the background with a big smile on his face <laughs> yeah. and out of breath i was just thinking, like considering the amount of um 
the amount of injuries he's had and the rumours that were going around about him not playing rugby anymore again two or three years ago and a couple of times actually it's just he loves he seems like he's just really enjoying it and he is the kind of guy that if he's having a bit of a run just does seem to enjoy the game and it's great to see that he's kind of back to his very best at the moment big time Um, Cody Taylor comes in at hooker uh, or stays in at hooker sorry I I think he was probably New Zealand's best player in the first half he 100% from his line outs I think he made every single tackle as well Um, Furlong I think Furlong, that's we don't even yeah. need to discuss what yeah. like that was just an, uh, talk about big moments in the game though that before half time just driving the driving like, uh, yeah literally forcing him up into like a compromised yeah. position yeah and it was pretty amazing it was like, just amazing just, to see an Irish scrum just, like that because we've always been so bad at the scrum like just an amazing stat like I think that maybe kind of got slightly overlooked from the weekend if you look at the three starting props from New Zealand versus three starting props from Ireland the three starting props from New Zealand had one pass between the three of them three starting props for Ireland had twelve like we. When when you that predict when you know someone's going to crash up, we've actually had a huge amount of variation in our game, which we would never have said before. Like you're relying yeah. on your skill set there, three front rows, and they're all throwing passes. Yeah. Roy best throwing passes out the back door. I know. I, sometimes I was going to say you gave us all heart yeah. attacks. But <laughs> <it was laughs> uh, I think the second row is pretty obvious. Seven toner, the effect he has on our lineup, he's becoming like. Uh, I don't want to overstress this, but it's kind of John Hayes esque in terms of his impact to that set piece. Yeah. The second he comes off, it falls to pieces. It was a disaster, um, yeah. Did it, you see? Um, sorry, the talk about the crowd earlier on the reception that toner got and that's what i mean about a kind of a little bit of sort of the the right right amount of knowledge and stuff like that you know it's not easy when you're sitting in the stand without the benefit of commentaries and replays and everything else to know that a second row is having the game of his absolute life you know but that was like that was an eruption that wasn't the kind of a ripple that followed with people joining in that was an eruption when he went off he was so so bloody good as well like it wasn't that hard to see but I I think the the, one of the best lines from copy this week I read was Mary Hannigan in the Irish Times who said when you think of Dev now it's no longer Dev Valera it'll be Toner so (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, All right. okay I'll agree with that yeah uh, so a lot of Irish so far we've got one New Zealander uh, James Ryan says again James Ryan, another Irish uh, man this I think is one I'm gonna, like, I totally open the voice here for the open side like, it's between Turpik who we talked about last week in terms of what he did he mm. came in he was playing 7 but we picked him at 6 because of uh, Peter Romani who's obviously going to stay in now the one thing about weighing up somebody between like Josh Van Der and Turpik is like the both of them had one kind of easy-ish game in terms of Scotland or Italy like the, but then they played Australia and we played New Zealand and he was monitoring it both so and like I, I thought but I went, I went with Josh Van Der Fleer. Because he's opened the bias. Look, uh, for me, Van Der Fleer is probably, I don't know, after after Saturday, but up until this weekend, he's Ireland's third choice, number seven. Yeah. And for him to just come in and have that kind of performance, and as you said, like even after two minutes, he was already dominating the game. The amount of tackles he had was insane. He was I, just I, I, everywhere. I think he, he must, like, there must be an aspect of him wearing that red uh scrum cap so you realize just how much power this guy covers because it's yeah, like, yeah. It's like uh, when, when we were younger we went to ga tries we always thought to wear white boots because you'd have you stand out <laughs> um omahni set seven i don't think we need to go into that six uh six sorry yeah yeah uh, so it's banfire seven omahni six eight david pocock again it's one like an interesting one about pocock pocock was italy probably would have beaten australia if pocock wasn't playing he was incredible serious he was, yeah, yeah, he was absolutely game. incredible like this game was on bn sports now the thing about pocock is he came off injured after 55 minutes and base like sean spoke up at this with us last week about the amount of game times he's played every single game for australia like he was the really grueling series against argentina last week he was there south africa against new zealand obviously then he played last week against Wales, which is like he, uh, Ross Miarty went through him for a shortcut at one stage and he took a real knock. And he went off and failed a HIA this week. But 
Jekyll's under a huge amount of pressure and Shayla play England next week. Mm. So there's a very good chance he comes back in, but I don't think he should. I, I, I think well, we'll see. Like you, you wouldn't like to assume that the HIA will be manipulated. You know, and, and, and I don't mean that in a naive way and I also don't mean it in a jokey way because you know yeah. that, that sort of thing does exist. But I just think we are surely at a point now for even though Czech is under pressure that he won't have any say in that decision. Yeah. I hope so anyway. Like, like, so what came out this morning was that uh, we were t- an injury update came out that Parker had a neck injury. Now, it, oh, it, it didn't okay. look like a neck injury at the time. It looked like, it, it, to me, he had a cut above his eyebrow. He was went, went off groggy and failed the HIA. It looked like he failed the HIA. I, like, I'm not, I'm not casting any aspersions on anything here. I'm just saying, Pocock, in terms of player welfare, has played a huge amount of games. He's been phenomenal for Australia. Like, he is there. They're so reliant on him. But I don't think he should play next week. I just, I, just, I yeah. think in terms of player welfare position. Right, okay. we're um, Austra- so Australia were no better than this week just because uh, no, they had the No, it means Conor O'Shea was, was really angry after the game in terms of a decision on an offside decision. I actually think it might have been offside, but just in terms of the referee's call there. Um, yeah, God, that would have been good. Like, they beat South Africa last year, you know, if they had kind of... Uh, it was a poor South African team, let's face it, but if they had gone on But to there's definite signs of improvement for it. Like, I know, I, we keep saying this, but in terms of, like, when we look at what Zebra and Benetton have done this year in the league, they, like, last week, they were really good. They were, like, really good last week. Again, against Australia, kicking the scalp. Like, the, you know, to beat Georgia, a team everyone talks about, there should be six relegation relegation because Georgia would be better than them. To beat Georgia and then turn around and give Australia a really good game. Uh, it's not going to get any easier. They play New Zealand next. So, um... Yeah, I think I think some of the the big guns are going home, um, right? Yeah, so you it would looks think like from, yeah from New Zealand, but the, yeah, like I mean, it's still going to be up against it. But you know, I I'm glad they're playing those teams though, and especially if they are giving them good games. You know, they're getting more out of a ten point loss or whatever it was to Australia than they are out of you know playing Tonga or something yeah. like you know. So um, let's do the backs. So nine is uh, was Ben Youngs, and I mean I, I think England were all over the place and he didn't uh, start at the weekend. Baptiste Seren, who we talked about last week, mm. kicked another 13 points for France. Like, Fra- France, who like, are starting to come good. Like, they really yeah, are starting to come that's, good. That, that was something I wanted to talk a little bit about because I, again, just saw some of the, that game, but more saw like a lot of kind of independent outside people who would have watched that game who were all kind of saying, France have something about them. It's just like if they continue on this trend come Six Nations, they're going to be a real, real team. Like, all these isolated players, great players that we used to talk about, are now kind of working in sync. Like, they've got a potentially frightening centre partnership now in Gael Ficao, who we obviously know really well in Ireland, came back. He, so he's moved to Stade Francais, and he looks way leaner than he's ever looked. Okay. But he's playing alongside Bastro. Bastro, who has become an offloading a machine. Almost, he, yeah. Like I think he I finished with six offloads. It's the most of anyone on the pitch by a long shot. Like, he was in phenomenal. You've got a guy like Ficao, who... Like he, he's there's a Teddy Thomas second try. He makes a fifty yard break and throws like it must be a twenty five yard pass off his left hand, just perfectly lands like right in his bread basket. You've got like these, uh, they got Etiari from Clermont was playing six like was a frightening just that that back row. So now you've got somebody to work in tandem with Picamo. I, I, yeah. I, I think they uh, Brunel seems to be getting things right there. They looked really good against Argentina. They should have beaten South Africa. So it's just uh, and this is a good South African team. Yeah, as we've kind of. Um, which will move us yeah. nicely on to our out half, which is Andre Pollard. Andre Pollard, who either scored or had an influential role in every single point for South Africa at the weekend, to the extent where he uh, made the break for the first try, scored the second try, kicked both conversions, kicked the penalty from the touchline, and kicked one from his uh, in the second half as well from the other side. But it was just a masterclass. Yeah. I think he, he's player. not a centre. When he got moved across, that didn't work. I, I, I know what Razi was trying to do, but it didn't work out when he got moved across. Yeah. But uh, I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, Johnny May, th- again another obvious one. Scott that has to come in. I think it's like 
You can't really so, keep him out. So Stockdale's that, in for May. He's yeah. just that X Factor player. Um, what a, like quick one on Stockdale. Tried that chip could have cost us the game when Reed came out. And just what I love about Ireland and it's it, it's the change in the Joe Schmidt era over the last two or three years was everybody was afraid to make a mistake. It was like Zemo's not in the team because he threw an offload yeah. that was intercepted one time and all of this kind of stuff. Whereas this was obviously something that Stockdale had either planned to do himself or was part of the game plan. And it's like five minutes later. He does he it does again. It yeah. And we score that try. <laughs> yeah. And it was a brilliant, brilliant try. Like, and it's one of those like Joe Schmidt and he improved a lot under the high ball as the game went on as Big well time, after yeah, a bad yeah. start yeah. Joe does like Joe Schmidt does this like he gets old plays and kind of like sporadically interspersed them again and they work to perfection like that's a play we've used twice before we've used it like we during the in 2015 like mm. it, they, they ran the exact same play but it didn't work out to the same extent but they have run it before and then you look, like you look at what Scotland did against South Africa for example they scored a try against us the centre in uh, 2000. 17, the centre in the line-out, picking it yeah. in the second channel and scoring. They ran a really similar play against South Africa the weekend. Like These kind of long-term plays that are kind of creative and ingenious, like they can be used again and again. Just, just like once in a while. Yeah. 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 Um, centres, Bundyaki stays, and then John Davies comes out for Gary Ringrose, who I think is probably, after Kearney, the biggest linchpin in this Andy Farrell defence that we're talking about. He's, yeah. What he does in that 13 channel is phenomenal. Um, Tommy he Seymour. Was superb, yeah. The Tommy Seymour stays again. But one bad missed tackle, but after that, I thought he was amazing. Uh, just probably that was Scotland lost to South Africa. Yeah, so okay. um, their back three with the fullback just fi- finished off here. It was Stuart Hogg. Like their okay. back, their back three are, were really, really good. So Hogg for the lineup we just spoke about, he created that break, like chip off the line, and uh, Willie Larue kicked it out for touch, and they ended up uh, scoring off that lineup. But their back three working really, really tandem when they're going forward. I think it's like a Townsend esque kind of facility that he, he really kind of works on this kind of cohesion with his teams and you see like Danny Wilson has come in for Dan McFarland like we probably would be as familiar with a guy like him but he um he coached Wales in the under 20 that the great Ireland under 20 team that had Byrne, Josh Van Deflyer, mm. um, Henderson, JJ Hanneran when he the, all that that team the Wales were the best team at that tournament and he was the coach of them and he's been like, he's knocked around a couple of places now but he's with Scotland with their forwards for Dan McFarland who's come yeah. to Ulster and it's really kind of in, these kind of kind of creative coaches, I, I, it's good to see kind of players with a bit of kind of ingenuity about them, kind of get breaks like this, and it'd be really interesting to see what he does now. If like if Scotland could develop a pack along the lines of what he's done elsewhere, they could be really ferocious. Units That's what I was going to ask you. Have you seen enough of them to think that they're going to be a, a, a hindrance to us? Because we're going there this year. Like. Yeah. So, uh, so like uh, from an Irish perspective, that game is really interesting because Scotland are in our pool and South Africa are probably the quarterfinal. If we just spoke about the New Zealand mm. South, South Africa game, so. And both teams are moving in a really promising direction for themselves, which is something for us to be hesitant about. So the idea that we all of a sudden have an easy pool is starting to look a lot less likely now. You look at what Japan, Japan against England for 60 minutes, it looked like it was one of the biggest shocks of the year. Like they were yeah. all over them. Michael Leach, who I think is probably the best, one of the best flankers, or one of the best flank performers I've seen in Twickenham in a long time. Like the guy just right. absolutely tore it up. They've got a Fukutara on the wing who was sensational, like absolutely sensational. Both potentially coming into Ronald says like they were that, that and close. And it's a home World Cup, like they're gonna be there. And and Leach has spoken about that before. Like Leach is their captain. He was uh, the flanker who was amazing against England. He spoke yeah. about uh he's so he's from New Zealand originally. Yeah. But he's spoken about He the, was the guy who was against the, the South Africa in South Africa. Yeah, he was yeah. The, he was the their hero that day. And he has spoken since then about the fact that it's all about two thousand nineteen. Like everything is building towards that. And when you like there was a lot of promise against the, like as I said, what that game exposed to me anyway is that like for like Leach with Japan or us previously with Sexton, 
Unfarrell is fundamental to everything he can do and if he's not there they fall to pieces their reliance mm. on him is incredible so yeah. he came on at half time they were losing and he came on at half time and just the impact they had was absolutely sensational the guy without him they've got a real kind of leadership issue without yeah. him so we're saying for November then we've got another week to go that team is going to I don't think it's going to change too much I think a couple of England players in a big performance yeah. could probably force their way in and you know we'll look at all the other games you know Scotland again might, might do something Wales have no players in there at the moment which um, given their attitude this week Morris I have to say I'm, <laughs> fine, I'm fine with you know but um, teams on the up Ireland See, uh, England like that it's a it's a great South uh, Africa Scotland yeah. On the way down, at the moment anyway, Australia, and then we kind of don't know what's going on with Wales and with New Zealand. Like, it's a, that's a great point to bring up because I think like, what I came away from the weekend thinking was, look, this is just an incredible time to be a rugby fan. The, yeah. the, when you look at the amount of kind of exploding nations that are really starting to improve, the amount of just great games. Like, just talk, the, the Australian game was a really good game. Yeah. Um, like, it's a really kind of promising time to be interested. And when you talk about these kind of emerging teams, like, especially from a Six Nations perspective, there's a case to be made that all six teams have improved. Oh, France, I forgot about. Def- yeah. Definitely on the up yeah. as well. Yeah, so, yeah. That, like, I think all six teams from this year's Six Nations will probably improve when it go forward to next year. That's a really encouraging sign in terms of, from a, just from an hemisphere perspective. Yeah. When you look at what's happening on the other side, like, Australia can pull this stuff out of the bag in six months. They were in turmoil before 2015 as yeah. well. So in terms of like looking towards the World Cup, you can't judge that. Like this, Joe Schmidt had spoke about this after the game about how you can't have these takeaways, and yeah. I think Australia are another example of that. Like, yeah. the, and the, as will Argentina be when it comes to it as yeah. well. They'll find some way of but doing something. In terms yeah. of South Africa, definitely South Africa looked like they're really kind of developing something there. There's like a really kind of ethos. The celebrations, like the in terms of not like whatever happened on the pitch, in terms of the backroom team, like I think Erasmus, there's a huge buy-in to what he's doing there, like, and and that's. You know, it's a phrase we talk about a lot, but it's really kind of important. And he's continually building players, and he's kind of managing this situation. Like, it's not easy to have some of your best players playing, like uh, De Klerk playing with Sarah Sharks. That's not an easy situation. He's managed it really well. Yeah. So I, I think they definitely want to kind of will pose a massive threat should we face them in a quarterfinal. And then the alternative is uh, is just New Zealand, but should we <sighs> beat them twice now anyway? Stop putting dampeners on things. <laughs> the greatest weekend in Irish rugby and the, the end of the greatest year in Irish rugby at least internationally uh, we've got like it's got there's a few more weeks uh, don't forget as well in the club game which is part of this greatest year of Irish rugby um, but yeah all of a sudden now it's immediately we've done that we've done the kind of England 2003 route we mm-hmm. have to go and probably you know I don't know win, win another Six Nations and that it, it, everything's going to be about us peaking in 2019 yeah. again now so look we, uh, we've enjoyed basking in the afterglow and the glory of Saturday um, trying to get that outside perspective but unfortunately Morris had to bring us down to the earth, earth and tell us that there's loads of other good teams out there too and we're not going to get out of the quarterfinal again <laughs> but um, on that cheery note we'll bid you adieu for uh, this week and we'll see you again next Monday thanks folks